Well, good morning, Freedom Church. Hey. So I've gone a bit technical this week. <clears throat> Somebody said this. This hot. Yeah, they got an edge of sketch. Do you know it's good to have you back, Nick? <laughs> Honestly. Hallelujah. Well, welcome to part four of the exciting series on the 40 days with Jesus. We're going to look at the subject of overcoming failure. All of us struggle in life and have failed in various ways. Some of you are living with the consequences of failure here this morning and have wondered whether you can ever get beyond that failure. Well, I've got some good news for you. Your future is greater than your failure and the call is greater than the fall. And you know, I really believe that this message is going to help many of you today. And it will actually be relevant to all of us at some stage in our life. So if we get hold of the principles and the heart of this message, it will make you a stronger, more coping, capable person. Not because I said so, because we're looking at the principles from God's Word. Hallelujah. Let me just show you some examples of people who have overcome failure. You may be familiar with some of them. Albert Einstein, Michael Jordan, Walt Disney, fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. How bizarre is that, eh? Somebody made a big mistake there, didn't they? Steve Jobs. At 30 years old, he was devastated and depressed after having been unceremoniously removed from the company that he started. Ophra Whitney was demoted from her job as a news anchor and was told because she wasn't fit for television. (laughs) And how about the Beatles, rejected by Decca Recording Studios, who said, we don't like their sound. I wonder if anyone got fired over that, hey, that was just a big, yeah. And you know, it was Albert Einstein, he didn't speak till he was four years old, and he did not even learn to read until he was seven, causing his parents and teachers to think that he was mentally handicapped, slow and antisocial. Eventually, he was expelled from school and was refused admittance to the Zurich Polytechnic School. It might have taken him a little bit longer, but most people would agree that he caught on pretty well in the end, winning the Nobel Prize and changing the face of modern physics. So as you can see, we are not alone, people who've overcome failure. Today we're going to have a look at another story of somebody who overcame failure. And the man's name was Simon Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, He was one of these people who had a particular knack of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. He had foot-in-mouth disease, as some people would put it. And his life reached a particular low point when he denied Jesus three times. I'm sure you're very well aware of the story. And yet within a couple of months, this same person was boldly preaching about Jesus on the day of Pentecost and became one of the greatest leaders in the history of the church. What made the difference? He had an encounter with the risen Jesus. Hallelujah. 
So we're going to look at uh, two uh, hugely encouraging lessons from this story. So um, the first of all is that Jesus will help us in our present struggles. Hallelujah. Do you know what? I thought I might have got a real call. I really need to hear this message there this morning. <clears throat> all of us face struggles and challenges in life. Amen. Yeah. Some of you are just taking a little bit longer to catch on than others. Okay. Some of you may feel at rock bottom. I know that that can be particularly true. You know, for some people, we come to church, everybody else around us looks absolutely on cloud nine, and yet we're feeling like we're on the floor. Others may well have reached, reached something of a barrier and are struggling to get to the next level of breakthrough. So let's read together this story in John chapter 21 verses 1 to 4. Afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish Simon Peter told them and they said We'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And then early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I just want to point out a few aspects of this story, which may seem obvious, but I think it's good to remind ourselves of the context. <clears throat> Simon Peter was just doing his normal job. There was nothing abnormal. He was going out fishing, something that he'd done many, many times before. And sometimes people have been known to criticize Peter for just going out fishing again, going back to what he did, that somehow he was running away from God. You may have a different view to that. I don't know whether that was actually the case. In one sense, it doesn't really matter. But it's quite likely that he was simply filling in time waiting for Jesus to appear for them in Galilee as he'd promised. And it may just have been that he was going out to earn some money. It's fairly relevant to most of us, isn't it? He was not doing anything that was overtly outward, uh, wayward, just doing a normal human thing. And yet in spite of doing what he was trained to do and fishing when he should have done at night, they still caught nothing. And this is the key point. Their struggle, failure, and subsequent frustration, like ours, is just, like, just part of being human in a fallen world. And yet it was into this situation of failure that Jesus came into the scene. Can any of you relate to this scenario? Just going about normal, everyday life, and yet you're feeling very frustrated because it isn't quite working out. So there are two applications from this about our particular lives. That fishing can represent our daily lives, our family, business, relationships, etc. But somehow life is just not working as we would hope. And secondly, it can resent our frustration at trying to share our faith with others. You see, Jesus had told Peter quite some time earlier on, he said, I will make you into a fisher of men. You will no longer be a fisher of fish, but a fisher of men. 
And yet how far must Peter have felt from being in that place, just what Jesus had promised him at this particular point in his life. And the same can be true of us. We may have tried all different kinds of ways to share our faith, to be really effective in that. And yet we feel so, so frustrated at our own inadequacy, our own fears, our whatevers, how we can relate to this story. Either way, we're not supposed to carry on either our daily lives or God's mission without his help. And the good news is that he's right here waiting to help us in our present struggles. But of course, we need to be the ones who respond to his help. So firstly, some principles to help us here now. We need to welcome his intervention. We did have some clever stuff set up at home that these would all just sort of whiz up onto the screen as I came through. But unfortunately, it got lost between Bracefield and Romsey, the, the technological side. So I apologize for that, but we are doing our best. So uh, you've known what I'm going to say next before I even get to it. So we need to welcome his intervention. Jesus is ready to intervene, but we must welcome his intervention. And notice clearly that Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. He calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Notice how he calls them friends. I, I love that. And he calls you and I today, he says, friends, haven't you caught any fish? Haven't you got on top of that particular situation or that struggle yet. He doesn't call them stupid or rebellious, which may have been what they were, but he calls them friends. And it was a very, very endearing expression that he used there. And of course, Jesus isn't asking the question because he doesn't know the answer. God never asks us a question that he doesn't know the answer to, but he is really engaging with them and us. And notice how the disciples answer with a simple, honest response. They don't seem to resent this question as an intrusion or an insult. They don't try and deny or hide the problem, like, yeah, we're getting on just fine, thank you. I bet none of us ever do that, do we? They don't try and hide, but they... They don't say no, like so many of us do. And there's no suggestion throughout the rest of the passage that the disciples resent his intervention. However awkward or challenging it may be, however awkward or challenging it may be. So if you want Jesus to help you in your present struggles, you must welcome his intervention. Secondly, obey his instruction. I, I love this thing. If you look at it in... in, in as it really is, just written clearly, this is a bizarre thing. Throw your net onto the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now we don't know whether that instruction was based on a word of knowledge or whether somehow Jesus called all the fish in the lake to that one particular point. We simply don't know. But either way, the Creator has all the knowledge and power we will ever need. He knows more about the fish than the fishermen. 
He knows more about accountancy than the accountant. He knows more about business than the entrepreneur. More about parenting than parents. More about teaching than teachers. It's you. And any others who that's relevant to. More about life and more about reaching people than we do. And the good news that he's not a dead Jesus or even just a risen Jesus who has appeared to his disciples and then went to heaven. No, he is Jesus who is alive and present with us by his spirit to help us in every area of our life and ministry. There is never a situation or circumstance where he is not there, even if we don't recognize him fully at the time. The key is to obey his instruction. And the Bible says that they cast their net, just as he said, from one side of the boat to the other. Just think about it, being there. Isn't that bizarre? Like the fish would be here, this side of the stage, but not over there. It's a lovely story, isn't it, eh? But they did it. However stupid that may have seemed to them, they did it. And look at the end result. They'd been fishing, they had all the circumstances were right, they were fishing at night, they had the right gear because they'd done it so many times before, and yet they weren't getting the result that they were hoping for. But when Jesus spoke into the situation and they did it, it worked out differently. And you know, sometimes we, we can be very slow, I'm not sure if I walk out of the light in this, is that okay? <clears throat> I can't see much, but you might be able to. <clears throat> Sometimes when we, you know, we can carry on thinking, I've got the tools for the job, I know what I'm doing here, and yet it's not working out. You know, Mandy and I have um, brought up three children, and we're bringing up another one at the moment. Billy has been part of us. When we were first married, we went on various parenting courses to help us and equip us for the task in hand, and that was good. We thought, they haven't turned out too bad, Always room for improvement, of course, but, <clears throat> but by God's grace and with the right uh, equipment, we, we brought up three children. And uh, so Billy, he's been with us for about six years now, um, who we, we are special guardians for, in case you don't know. Um, we used all the techniques that we were used to using, all the various principles of discipline and learning and, and, and everything else, but somehow it didn't work. Very frustrating for us. Uh, quite ugly at times in the household, if I'm really honest. <clears throat> but we, we, um, had to, we had to come to the place where we had to ask for help. And uh, in, in cutting a long story short, we're now actually attending an advanced parenting course, which seems so bizarre that three of our kids, the youngest of those is 21, and we're actually doing now an advanced parenting course. <clears throat> but we needed to because we weren't, we weren't coping with, with the, the knowledge and experience that we had. And we thank God that God's brought um, uh, or made available to us a teaching course that we're now on um, by some wonderful means. And so through, through prayer and the principles that we're learning on this course, we think we're really making some headway. It's early days. We've only done two of the, week, of the eight-week course so far. But I want you to see that, that we'd been doing, I want you to get the message that 
we thought we knew, we had all this past experience to go on, but somehow we were meeting a brick wall, a lot of frustration, and all sorts of other things. Now, maybe you are in that position today, but that's our experience um, of where we are now. Okay? Just as the fishermen would have been in this story. Bill Hybels, in his, um, one of his teachings, talks about the importance of obeying the promptings, or whispers as he calls them, of God. These often come in the form of simple little instructions. The problem is that we can miss these so easily. By obeying a simple little instruction, it can change the situation that we find ourselves in. How does God speak to us? Fairly obvious, but I'm going to reiterate it because it's so important. Regularly through the scriptures. Friends, we need to be people who are regularly reading our Bibles. That's one of the primary way that God speaks to us. How would it be if the only spiritual input or the only time you listen to God's word was on a Sunday? Well, maybe that is where you are. How would it be then if the only meal you ever had for your body was on a Sunday? I think you'd be struggling health-wise if you carried on like that for too long. It might not do many of us too much harm to go without food for a little while. I'm not looking at you, Nick. You're okay. But I'm sorry, this is a private joke here, folks. All right. (laughs) But now it's public, that's true. But the fact of the matter is, many of us as Christians, you know, we, we approach our Christian life thinking we can survive on a sermon on a Sunday and maybe something midweek, and we're doing nothing about feeding our spirits during the week. It's no wonder we will struggle and miss out on the, on the whispers and the instruction of God entirely. So I'll leave that one with you. But that's so, so important. So God speaks to us regularly through the Scriptures, sometimes in pictures, sometimes in a word or whispers in our spirit. When we obey his instruction, we can experience a total turnaround. The disciples went from catching nothing to catching so many fish that they were unable to haul the net in. What a picture of abundance. Hallelujah. So firstly, we need to welcome his intervention. Secondly, obey his instruction. And thirdly, to accept his invitation. Jesus performed this miracle because it was his way of inviting the disciples and especially Peter Peter, into a renewed relationship with himself. The purpose of a miracle is to point to the miracle worker. Hallelujah. And when we recognize the miracle worker, there is always an invitation to walk closely with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love Peter's reaction to when Jesus said about, um, well, when he recognized that it was Jesus on the shore. He wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. I bet they were chuffed with him, weren't they, eh? Leaving us to do all the work, you know, while he swans off over the way there. I bet that went down a storm, that one did. The miracle is still that the nets were not torn. Clearly that was something that they were quite anxious about. But when God blesses us, he provides for us and fills our nets. There will be an abundance, but the nets will never break. 
Hallelujah. And then there's Jesus' second word of invitation to come and have breakfast. What a tender, practical and personal embrace. And what was Jesus doing here? He was actually still serving the disciples and he still loves to serve us. The meal was a sign of great friendship and fellowship but it also speaks of the Lord's desire to meet our practical needs wanting to provide a safe relational context for the real climax of the story. And there's something, isn't there, about eating a meal with friends or meeting a meal with people, being invited, that is a much more, a better way of actually communicating hearts and, and um, information and such like. And that's just what Jesus was doing here. No doubt he could have shouted and made an instruction, but he says, no, come on, let's have a meal. But that was just really a build-up for the next part of the story. So Jesus helps us in our present struggles Secondly now, Jesus also heals us from our past failures. <clears throat> Just going to read that uh, passage of scripture there. Now, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Job, John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep there are a number of very interesting key things that are going on here the bible records that the, that jesus had just cooked the fish on a fire of burning coals or actually the literal translation is a charcoal fire the only other place that this is mentioned in the in the whole of the new testament is actually the same place where you remember Peter was warming himself around a fire on the time when he denied Jesus three times. Well, it was that same fire, a charcoal fire. That's the only time it's ever mentioned. So it's quite interesting, isn't it, that Jesus has got the same fire with Peter cooking a meal there. Jesus deliberately addresses Peter as Simon, son of John, and not Peter the Rock. This highlighted Peter's failure to live up to the name that he'd been given and his need for restoration. Jesus deliberately asked Peter the same basic question three times, reflecting that Peter had denied him three times. So what's really happening to Peter in this particular story? Jesus is coming to Peter to heal him from his past failure. And in doing so, Jesus is deliberately reminding him of his denial, not to make him feel bad, but to bring him to a place of repentance, restoration, and recommissioning. Why does he have him to face up to the past? Because he wants Peter to own the problem. 
A man called Henry Cloud said, we have the innate ability for self-deception. So for example, in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, the key to recovery is to acknowledge that you have a problem. This is what Jesus is doing. He doesn't want Peter to carry that problem into his future. Please notice that what Jesus doesn't do in this situation, he doesn't come and say, now Peter, you remember how you denied me with a big long finger pointing. Of course, Peter remembers the shame that would have dogged him all his life. Instead, Jesus goes to the root of the problem and says, do you love me? Jesus is highlighting that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Jesus is saying, Peter, the reason you denied me was a love issue. You loved yourself, your reputation, and what others thought of you more than you love me. And you know, this is a problem that's right at the root of mankind's sinful condition and of our own lives. Somewhere at the root of our greatest failures is our failure to fulfill the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. <clears throat> Jesus knows that if Peter is, on, is, is not only going to know forgiveness, but he's going to be fit for service, he has to come and deal with the heart issue. And Peter does. <clears throat> the wonderful thing is that Peter is not, sorry, Jesus is not put off by Peter's denial. He doesn't stop believing in Peter. The good news for Peter and for you and me is that the call is greater than the fall. I want you to get that, friends. Jesus doesn't stop believing in you, the same as he didn't stop believing in Peter. Peter, having faced up to his sin and having reaffirmed his love for Jesus, is recommissioned. And through this, we can see such a wonderful aspect of God's character that our God is the God of the second chance. Hallelujah. I want to also say this as well, that your heritage <clears throat> doesn't have to be your destiny I've got one amen from down here <clears throat> I'm going to give you a, I'm going to read to you a great story of somebody who really came to understand this and I hope if this relates to you as well that today this will be like a light being turned on for you as well so this person said this having grown up in an alcoholic family <clears throat> I've often looked at normal families and thought if only I could have been brought up or born into that family or why me why did I have to have the experience the madness of life with a really messed up family this pity party only led to sadness I was good at keeping the doors closed about these private thoughts and most people did not know about this lingering disappointment it was like a shadow over my world this darkness lingered until it was displaced by anticipation. This came about because I finally became convinced that God had a plan and a purpose for my life. 
A statement from the book of Romans was instrumental. This is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, if you don't know it. And it says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And the person goes on to say this. Could it be that growing up in my crazy family molded me in a way that would allow God to uniquely use my experiences to help others? I concluded that the answer was yes. And it was like a switch flipped. Instead of looking back with regret, I began to look forward with anticipation. The past did not disappear or become any less painful, but it was no longer my focus. I've realized that it's hard to walk forward when you're looking backwards. And each day I trust that God has a good plan. I love that story. I love the fact that God gave Peter and gives all of us a second chance. Why? Because the call is greater than the fall. And look at the results. A few weeks later, Peter is leading the disciples, preaching with boldness about the crucified, now risen and exalted Jesus. There was no denying him in this situation. And 3,000 people get saved, baptized and added to the church in one day. He, was instru- he is instrumental in the first recorded healing miracle of the early church. He was put in prison, released by an angel, confronts sin with scary discernment, and walks the streets of Jerusalem with such an anointing that the sick just try to get into his shadow so that they might be healed. And if that was not enough, he was then given the privilege of being the first to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's you and me. Even today, 2,000 years on, he is honored along with the Apostle Paul as being the greatest and most significant founding leader of the church to whom we now belong. What a restoration. Same man, but restored by the grace and power of God. Hallelujah. So for many today here, you may still be living in the pain and shame of past failure. For some of you, you've never accepted Christ. You may feel you've lived a life and wondered whether God could or would ever forgive you. If it is true for you, then may I encourage you to take heart. Look at how God transformed Peter. For many of you, you may have failed Christ in the past. And you know that at some stage in your life, you've taken a wrong turn. And wonder whether you can ever get back to God's plan. The great news for you today is that God wants to come and help you to face up to the past. He wants to forgive you, restore you, heal you, and recommission you. Hallelujah. You know, I love the, one of the songs that, that Grace led us in earlier on. One of the lines of that song says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I wonder this morning as you were singing that, you and I were singing that, whether for you you thought, you know what, that's not me. I I am still a slave. I'm a slave to failure. I'm a slave to the mistakes I've made. I'm a slave to the situation I'm currently facing. Take heart, my friends. It can be different 
with an encounter from the risen Jesus. You know, maybe you have never surrendered, truly surrendered your life to Christ. Or maybe you've come along to church week in, week out. Maybe you've come along because your parents have said, well, come on, we're going to church today. But you've never personally invited the Lord Jesus to come and take over your life. Take the good bits and the bad bits. And say, Lord Jesus, I want to surrender to you. Friends, today, this can be your day. Hallelujah. Can I ask us all to stand and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray a prayer. If you feel that something today has, uh, what I've said this morning, or maybe just to the worship, that you feel God's spoken to you and you want to respond to him, can I encourage you to pray just quietly in your own mind as I pray through a prayer that I've written down. I will say it slowly, but can I encourage you to just pray it yourself as well, that we may respond to God's invitation this morning. Is that okay? So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word to me this morning and I want to respond to you. Thank you that your love is unconditional. I bring my whole life to you, Lord, the good bits and the bad, every single part of it, I'm going to hold nothing back. Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for my life and that my future is greater than my failure and that your call is much greater than my fall. Please help me, Lord, and thank you In Jesus' name.